I have a <laughs> printout. I have nurse. like a piece of art my grandma gave me in the fourth grade that says a face without freckles is like a sky without stars. Oh, yes. By the way, put, drop that in your inspirational quotes. Mm. But I have never seen a freckle on a foot before. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church, where every week Pastor Matt Brown has real answers for your tough questions. I'm your friendly pal, Justin Pardee, here with my good friends. Stephanie Keene. And the PMB. That stands for Pastor Matt Brown, if you That's don't know. That's my rap name, PMB. The P- Is it the PMB or just PMB? It's just PMB. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Mine's PRD, uh, which... Sad, sad story behind PRD. I was very inspired by this band called the Pussycat Dolls, and the, okay. the 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 music video. The lead singer had like a hoodie that said PCD, and I was like, "That's awesome! I'm going for PRD." I'm sorry, PRD was inspired by the Pussycat Dolls, and I literally had a sweater like the girls from the music video made you at a local like what do you call those stitchery places where old ladies make things shops. yeah embroidery yeah, shop i don't know if you know this but our vision is to be real but we don't have to tell everyone yeah everything all the time no well you, you guys can find me on social media at prd yeah. that's <laughs> Any, one of those secrets that i would go. keep till judgment day yeah that's absolutely just what I'm man i just just try and keep my buttons loose is uh is how we go here on this show yeah, this oh is going God. downhill fast <laughs> You just then live from Ephesus. <laughs> well, let's turn it around and uh, bring smiles to everyone. We got some fantastic reviews and we're going to jump into some questions and all kinds of good stuff here. But we got some incredible reviews that have been coming in over the last week. First one, this is from Fedus Toya. Pretty sure that's the best pronunciation we can mm-hmm. land on that one. This is great information Matt brings from the Bible. Thank you, yes. he says. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, thank you. Another one, Addis A says, who needs coffee in the morning when you have the debrief? Mm, I need coffee. I was yep. say, I drink a lot of exactly. coffee when we record the debrief. The true story is these guys are hopped up on caffeine right now. That's what you're, that's what you're sensing right now, Addis. Mm-hmm. We're drinking coffee for you. I've only had one cup today. Mm-hmm. Well, that explains my it. favorite cup coffee, though, on the uh, uh, Keurig is Kauai coffee. It is so good. That's the one you said we got to try. Oh, you said that so like 15 delicious. episodes. I know. Yeah, you you haven't come through. Us, you haven't come through on that. I haven't given you any? No. Let's oh, try it it's out. It's so good. Okay. okay, next week. Next week. Kawhi okay, coffee. we have one more review. You're going to love this one. This is from Windfish Plus One. Whoa. You guys remember Windfish? That digs way deep. We had Windfish review a long, long time ago. And Windfish Plus One says, hollering at you from the great island of Oahu. Ooh, is that how you say it? Yeah. PMB, Stephanie, and Justin, you dudes are all awesome. Thank you so much for your effort in deciphering scripture and providing it in an easy-to-get format. I've recommended this podcast to countless people. There you go. And you've been a true blessing in my life and have given me a deeper understanding of my Savior. PMB, we would like to formally invite you to share the best Mexican food on the island with us in our home, if you mm. should ever come visit. I will be coming soon. My my body may be in California, but my heart is in Hawaii. Bring me back a chimichanga, man. Bring mm. me back a chimichanga. All right, so before we jump into the question, we got two more things of business. First of all is that debrief swag, Hydro Flask giveaway. That's right, and this is your last week to enter into that competition. So in order to be entered to win, you need to like us on Facebook and post a selfie on Facebook in your debrief shirt with the hashtag debrief swag. Uh, make sure to tag us in there so that we see it and that way your friends can find us and we can find you and we can share in the joy that is the debrief together and you may win yourself a nice debrief themed hydroflask water bottle. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Fill it with 20 ounces of liquid gold. 
Uh, last thing you got to know, this week, uh, this Thursday, we are recording the politics and voting episode. Prepare to be offended. So this is your last chance mm-hmm. to get in questions for Pastor Matt Brown. If you've got tough questions about voting, politics, or anything along those lines, send them in and we will get them on the show. And uh, that will special bonus episode will be dropping later this week. All right, you ready to get into it with some questions? Absolutely. All right, first couple of questions we got here are some follow-up from past sermons. This first one is from Jesus. Uh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> it's like, wow. Yeah, wow, Jesus I'm listens. So he's listening. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Uh, uh, Jesus says, several of my community group members work with gay co-workers that have never had a positive experience with the church and are constantly surprised about being encountered with the love by Christians. There comes a point in which being homosexual can become so intertwined within someone's identity that it's hard for them to even think about following Jesus, or for that matter, stepping into a church. How can we as Christians uniquely interact with gay people in our lives? Yeah, be Jesus to them. I mean, the reality is we're all sinners. We just struggle with different sins. And, uh, you know, homosexuality is not a gay person's biggest problem. It's Mm -hmm. their sinfulness, and they're separated by God, and they are... uh, going to spend eternity without him. And so we need to love them, care for them, because they're in the same situation we are without Christ. And so, you know, that breaks my heart that gay people have had bad situations, you know, with churches. I don't know how much of that's true Mm -hmm. and how much of that's just paranoia. You know, I've reached out to gay community leaders many, many times, and I got to be honest with you, most of them won't meet with me. They don't want to talk with me. And it's because of their preconceived notions and their fears, Mm -hmm. you know, Baptist phobia or what. I don't know what it is, but it always amazes me. Um, You know, I I think that, and we'll get into this when we get into the political conversations uh, in our next episode, but I think that so much of what's wrong with America today is we demonize those with different views than us. And I think that historically Christians have done that about the gay community, but I think the gay community has done that with the Christian community. And the truth is we both need to stop judging each other and try to understand each other. Uh, So love them, care for them, pray for them, um, you know, be there for them, be a good neighbor, be a good friend, and tell them about who Jesus is in your life because... The reality is, is what God is inviting us um, into is a relationship, and um, God wants a relationship with them. But for them, I think the uh, the changes to, to participate in that relationship are a lot more public than maybe what heterosexuals feel. But the reality is, it's the same call for the heterosexual and the homosexual. Unfortunately, homosexuals get more attention um, than heterosexuals do because we've just chosen to pick... I think we always are attracted to sins that we don't personally struggle with. But mm-hmm. um, the homosexual struggle is the same as my heterosexual struggle. It's just focused on on a different sex, and that's all that it is. So love them, love them, love them, love them, and um, you know, tell them about Jesus. Always bring them back to Jesus. You know, because before they're willing to give up their lifestyle, they got to understand why. They got to mm-hmm. see the pearl of great price before they sell all that they have to buy the field. And so that's the thing is we got to show them Jesus, because then right, it's worth it. But if they don't know him, why, why would you ever say no to who you believe that you've been created to be? And, and that's because you need to discover something else. So that's a great question. And, and gay people are great. Some of my good friends are gay, and I love them and appreciate them. And some of them are followers of Jesus and have left you know, their gay lifestyle, and others have chosen to re- reject Jesus, or at least you know, our church's understanding of Jesus, and pursue their lifestyle. So, um, but either way, I'm friends with, with all of them. Yeah. So we've been singing a song lately at church about coming to the altar. And you and I had a conversation about this weekend um, because our band leader, Eddie, was explaining that the altars where animals were sacrificed to pay for our sins before Jesus came. And I know we've talked some about Jesus becoming the new sacrifice now, but why did God specifically require the slaughter of animals? Like, why didn't he just ask people to give up possessions or money or things like that? Sure. There's a a theological reason for that. And, you know, God Mm -hmm. says... 
to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. So the consequence of sin is death. And so something must die. And if you'll notice in Genesis chapter 3, after God dispenses judgment on Adam, on Eve, and on the snake, what does he do? He covers them with uh, animal skins. Mm -hmm. And so right after their sin, animals die. So it's the first record in the book of Genesis of animals being killed. And why were they killed? For the covering of Adam and Eve. And so there's some symbolism there. And so the animals um, suffer on behalf of us and for our sin. And that bothers a lot of people who love animals, but the reality is God loves animals, but animals didn't sin. We're the ones that are broken. We're the ones that are separated from God. And the only thing that can restore a right relationship with God is sacrifice. So animals were never the perfect sacrifice. Even if you sacrificed yourself for God, that's not enough. Only Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice. But that bothers some people. But the reality is it it is a picture and God is teaching us about um, what it is we need to do. And, um, you know, sacrifices were different. And, and I think I think maybe you asked me, what did they do with the sacrifice? Or, or somebody asked me that mm-hmm. this week. So it depended where the sacrifice took place. If it was out on an altar, oftentimes it would be burned. If it was in the temple or in the tabernacle, some sacrifices were completely destroyed. Others, the Levites, the pastors of the uh, Jewish community, would take a portion of that meat and use it for their own food and their own well-being. And just like uh, when people give offerings um, to Sandals Church, you know, I live off, we all live off a percentage mm-hmm. of that uh, based upon our job and our responsibilities in the same way in the Old Testament. The animals sacrificed weren't just wasted. I mean, sometimes God required that it be completely burned or destroyed, but usually what happened was is the animal was used for food mm-hmm. and certain parts that were considered unclean, just like nowadays at a butcher's place, right? Yeah. You don't eat all of the animal. Some of it's eaten and, and some of it's used for other things. And so God did the same thing back then. So there was a use for it. It wasn't just wasting their lives, but it was actually providing nutrients for the priests that served God. That's cool. Okay, so we've got a lot going on in Acts chapter 19, which you preached on this weekend. This kicks off Paul's big third missionary journey, and uh, you were obviously not able to cover all this in the message, so we got a bunch of really good things here. Let's kick it off at the very beginning in verses 1 through 2. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, and we met Apollos recently, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. So this is a pretty blunt question for a first impression that Paul's making here. Why is he asking that so specifically? I think Paul has discernment, um, and he knows they're not saved. But before coming to, maybe not knows, but he is he's concerned that these guys are not genuine followers of Jesus Christ. Mm. And I, I have that concern. I meet people at our church all the time, and, you know, I wonder, um, is this person genuinely saved? Uh, and there's just, there's a way about a person who's born, born again. You know, it's not showy. It's not staged. We'll get into it. It's not, have you spoken in tongues or not spoken in tongues? But I can tell, usually, when someone has an understanding of the gospel that I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's touched them. It, it creates a certain mannerism in their life, in their way, in their will, in, in just their, their persona and their um, the way that they, they, you know, kind of their personality comes off. I could just tell that there's something about them, that they've been with Jesus, they know Jesus. And so Paul here gets this feeling that these guys don't know, but he's the Apostle Paul, so he's a little aggressive relationally. You know, maybe I wouldn't jump into this right away, but he does. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. hey, have you guys been baptized by the Holy Spirit? And so he's asking a specific question that only believers in the church who had experienced Pentecost and heard about Pentecost would understand. And so this is going to let him know right away if they're a part of the of the church movement or if they're still really only a part of the movement of uh, John the Baptist. Yeah. 
So then in verses two through four, they actually reply and say, no, we haven't heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. So does this mean that these people hadn't even heard about Jesus yet? No, they they would have heard something about Jesus, but they're clearly ignorant. So remember, you know, John the Baptist is killed pretty early in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so he's beheaded. And we know from Matthew that the disciples of John, you know, you know, they 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 go to bury uh, John the Baptist and then they go to Jesus because they're not sure what to do. So there's this scattering of uh, John the Baptist converts all over the the uh, Middle East, and so they scattered many of them. Some of them would have you know received the baptism of repentance and then traveled on and not ever experienced uh, you know the further teachings of Jesus. So here's the thing: John taught a couple things. Number one, he taught that repentance is necessary for getting your life right with God, which is exactly what Luke says. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand this, that John preached part of the gospel, not all of the gospel. He only preached the remorse part. He didn't preach on how to receive forgiveness and empowerment to live a different life. Because he said, you know, in the gospels, he says, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming after me who will baptize you with fire. So John the Baptist's disciples would have had an expectation of something coming, but they didn't know what that was yet. So they would have understood that. And that's why they make such quick converts here, because um, they understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of what John's preaching. It's interesting here, though, that Luke is very, very careful to let us know that the, that the followers of John were believers, were disciples. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's very, very careful here because he wants to respect and revere who John was and the ministry that he did, because he believes that Jesus is not offering a new religion or a separate religion, but the fulfillment mm -hmm. of the religion and movement that John started. So John's the A, Jesus is the B. So, you know, John's the beginning, Jesus is the end of that specific time in history. And so he's really, really careful not to diminish in any way the disciples of John. And that's why he calls them believers, or you could translate yeah, it disciples. They're not disciples of Jesus, but they are disciples of God to the best of their ability and with the knowledge that they have. And so he's saying, hey guys, you guys need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So the reason they're so quick to transition is because they heard John talk about this. John would have said, I'm baptizing with water, but the one coming after me, the one that I'm preparing the way, he's going to baptize you with fire. And so that's where like, hey, no, we, 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 haven't, we, haven't, we haven't heard about this. So mm -hmm. tell us more about this specific issue. Yeah, so verses five through seven, as soon as these guys heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Paul laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. So you've talked um, several times throughout the book of Acts about how this is kind of, I think you've said, descriptive, not prescriptive yeah. for the church. Um, I'm wondering, was it necessary for Paul to lay his hands on them in this moment, or would these believers have received the Holy Spirit either way? Yeah, so, th well, that's a, that's a really multifaceted question. So the, f the easiest answer is no, he didn't have to lay his hands. So the Holy Spirit comes upon them at Pentecost simply while Peter's preaching. The Holy Spirit comes, mm -hmm. you know, in the middle of uh, other sermons. The Holy Spirit, here's, here's the one thing that you can say about the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is going to do whatever he wants <laughs> to do. He is the sovereign third person of the Godhead. And so we don't control him. Paul does not control the Holy Spirit by placing hands on them. What he's probably doing, though, is he's praying that they will, in fact, receive the Holy Spirit. And he's probably, I think, a little unsure as to what's going to happen, because we know that Pentecost takes place really three times. So there's the Jewish Pentecost, there is the Samaritan Pentecost, and then there's the Gentile Pentecost. So all three of those groups, right, 
have to experience the Holy Spirit in a unique way so that the church understands the gospel is not just a Jewish religion, it's for all people, including Samaritans and Gentiles. So now the question is, what do we do with Jewish you know, mm-hmm. followers of John? How do they fit in this scheme? Well, here's the answer. They too must receive the baptism of Jesus. They too must receive you know, the, the, his baptism, and what is it? So they probably didn't get dunked again, and that's the issue because they were they already were baptized, you know, by John. So what he does is he says, "Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit?" Well, how do you receive that? You believe in the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. and so that's for us as Christians why we got to be very, very careful. This is a unique time in church history where you have people that are kind of in, kind of out, kind of not, kind of. I mean, it's just this is the birth of the church. It's the wild west of the church, and so things are happening that only happen during this period and. What's amazing here is, again, I believe the Holy Spirit spoke through them dynamically in this way because God wants us to know that everything John taught about is fulfilled in Jesus. And so he's trying to close that loophole and say, okay, guys, quit following John. And there are still, even today in Iraq, um, uh, in Iran, in those areas, uh, in, in eastern Turkey, there are still people who are descendants and followers of John the Baptist because they never got the message. They never were enfolded into the teachings of Jesus Christ. So and so Luke's trying to tell us, hey, John the Baptist, he's the last prophet. He is. You know, he's the, he's the last prophet before Jesus. He's the one who prepared, you know, us for the straight and narrow road he, to make our, our crooked path straight. You know, he's the one that prepared the way for the king. But now he's come. So as great as John was, we are to follow Jesus and we're to submit to Jesus. And so that's that's really amazing, which is, right, John said, wait a minute, why do you want me to baptize you, Jesus? You should baptize me. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus affirmed the teaching of John. And so here it's important to know that even though Jesus affirmed that, the baptism of Jesus is the supreme baptism that everybody wants, which right. we know from Matthew uh, 28, 18 through 20 is baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Matthew gives us the entire formula, whereas Acts simply calls it you know, the baptism of Jesus that then results in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So at Sandals, that's why we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And there is no specific way to do it. There's no formula. You need to repent of your sins, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and open yourself up to the movement and power of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I think that that's um, you know, what we need to do. So we, we repent of our sins to God the Father, we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we ask His Spirit to indwell us. And I think that's the Trinitarian confession of a devoted follower of Jesus. And if that completely confuses you, I apologize, but we'll get into that, um, um, you know, with who God is. We worship a, a relational God who is one God, but his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's, that's a whole nother discussion. Right. I've actually got to, I want to go back to just the topic of baptism a little bit. And you were talking about John's followers and how, you know, we want to, Paul made a point to really respect what they had done. And was thinking even about like, you know, we've got a lot of people who have come to Sandals out of a Catholic background who maybe even baptized in the Catholic church, raised up in that way, and now are coming here. And we believe something a little bit different than that, but we still respect that tradition. What would you say to folks maybe who've come out of the tr- that tradition, maybe were baptized as children, but now have come to faith in Jesus, or maybe have come out of a lot of different traditions, but now yeah. come to faith in Jesus in a different way? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, again, I want to honor, you know, all our Catholic brothers and sisters and, and that tradition. And, you know, we're grateful to the Catholic Church because without them, none of us would be here. You yeah. know, they were faithful stewards of the gospel for many, many years, um, and then ultimately split in the Reformation, and Sandals Church, you know, sides with the Reformers, the Protestants. We protested against some of the, um, 
really political ills of the church. There were just some real ugly things. Whenever you merge Christianity and uh, politics together, it, it, it becomes a cesspool. It's just not a good thing. And so there was this movement away from that. So we love our Catholic brothers and sisters. Here's what I would say. Um, and people have been baptized in different churches in different ways. Some people are sprinkled. Some people, you know, the church doesn't have one stance on baptism. At Sandals, we believe in what's called believer's baptism. So what that means is you as an individual must be able to be aware of your sin. You can't repent of sin you're not aware of. You must be able to cognitively deal with who Jesus is. So Jesus Christ is the only way. You know, you gotta be, you gotta be mature enough mentally to say, okay, I'm gonna follow Jesus Christ. And then to willingly as an individual submit to baptism. And I think that's important. And so if you haven't done that, I would encourage you to be baptized. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, I'm not here to judge. You know, I'm I'm, I'm not here to to put down in anybody else's Christian experience. That what I just told you is what I believe is the normative Christian behavior. Old enough to, to repent and believe, and and mature enough to be able to say, I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm going to live for Jesus, and that's baptism. Um, so that's what I believe. Yeah, is that helpful? Yeah, I got baptized when I was 16 at my church growing up. So not like as an infant, but I. I ended up, you know, after through conversations here, getting rebaptized when I was, I think, twenty one here mm-hmm. at Sandals Church, and that was because as I looked back and reflected, like I came to the conclusion when I was baptized at sixteen, I was not doing it to tell the world, you know, I'm following Jesus. I was doing it to, you know, essentially try and be prideful and please and impress spiritually people around mm-hmm. me, and that was not the right thing at all. So that was the conclusion I kind of came to through that process. Listen, if you are listening to this uh, and you attend any one of our Sandals Church locations uh, and you have not yet been baptized or you want to learn more, please go to sandalschurch.com slash baptism. In fact, if you're listening right now, our next baptisms are coming up at the first weekend of December 2016 across all of our campuses. That's right. And Nicole actually had a follow-up question here on the matter of the Holy Spirit. And she asked, these people receive the Holy Spirit and are able to prophecy or speak in tongues immediately. Why don't we really see that today at Sandals Church? Right. That's a great question. Um, So again, the book of Acts is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. And so we got to be really, really careful. And so here's the thing that we, you know, just, it's not just why do we speak in tongues, but not every single person has the same reaction when they're born again. Like I think about my children when they were born, they all went through the same process, but they came out very differently. (laughs) Madison came out screaming, uh, Kennedy came out not breathing, and Ethan came out smiling. Same experience. Mm completely different responses to being born. And so one of the things I think that we do is we put pressure on people to have the same experience. Emotional people are going to have an emotional experience. You know, your more cerebral types, it's going to be more cerebral. And we need to not force, you know, a, a PhD, you know, professor of economics to behave the same way when he becomes born again as a 15-year-old, you know, my, you know one of my teenage daughters, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to have different experiences and expressions. Just like when you go to a worship conference, you know, some people, they express themselves differently, and you can't judge what's happening inside based upon what happens on the outside. So uh, it's really, really important that we don't make people feel like they have to have some kind of response. That's unhealthy. These guys, I mean, right, the, the John the Baptist uh, followers, they didn't plan this. It just happened. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Again, God's closing the loop. Acts 19, everyone must be saved through Jesus and the symbol of that in the book of Acts is prophesying and speaking in tongues. So, and I believe that they're they're both closely related. So, in Acts, speaking in tongues is this proclaiming the name of Jesus in other languages. That's what it means in the book of Acts. So, we go all the way back to Acts two. It's that all of a sudden they are shouting, prophesying 
What? That Jesus Christ is the way. That's what they're prophesying about. How are they doing that? They're doing it in tongues, which means not in a bizarre unknown language. It means in other tongues. And it could be in you know, the tongues of, of each other, of other nations. But that's what the book of Acts is. The Holy Spirit always follows and the speaking in tongues follows the expansion of the mission of the gospel to the nations. And so they are using the languages of other nations and, uh, and that's why they're doing that here. So here, you know, we do have people that speak in tongues. We do have people that don't speak in tongues. And I think both are fine. And, and we want to make Sandals Church a church for both those people. And so what I would just say is this, is you need to say, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do in my life, I open myself up to that. And if you don't speak in tongues, that's fine. Don't ever feel guilty about it and don't worry about it. If you do, that's great too. God can use both sets of believers to accomplish his purpose. And so we need to not judge each other, divide over these issues, but we should be unified by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, ultimately, its purpose is to testify to those who are lost about the glory of Jesus. So that's a great question. I want to make sure I understood you correctly. Uh, What you're saying is the P in PMB now stands for Prophet Matt Brown. Yes. (laughs) Okay, good. Yeah, in in the most humble way I can possibly say. Excellent. Uh, For you listeners at home, it's a little bit chilly in the studio today. So Pastor Matt currently has a, a white fabric blanket just I draped across throw, his shoulder. A throw. Oh, yeah. It's a, a what? throw. A, a white woven throw. It's chilly in here. Yeah, draped yeah, across his shoulders. I was yeah. just going to say, you did look very prophetic. You're yeah. kind and of so, channeling touchdown Jesus yeah. right And so now. why don't we do that, you know, here at Sandals Church? Because we're trying, we're, we're not trying to manufacture the same experience in every person's life who comes to Jesus. We want their experience to be personal and to be real based upon whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do through them. And that's, that's important. Um, and then if that involves speaking in tongues, amen. And if it doesn't, Amen. So either way, and amen means truth. Cool. Amen. All right, let's move on. Uh, Verses 8 through 10. Now Paul is ministering in Ephesus. It says, Paul went into the synagogue and preached boldly. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of God. So this is Acts 19. Back in Acts chapter 16, the Holy Spirit actually prevented Paul and Silas from going into Asia, I think twice. So how is the, the good news about Jesus getting all the way out to Asia now? Yeah, because... Asians have come to Ephesus and they're listening to the Apostle Paul preach. So that's how it's getting out there. So they're coming. He's preaching in the Hall of Tyrannus for two years. And, you know, Ephesus is a trade center. So it's a very, very important city. So they're coming there on business deals and then they're going back home and they're taking the gospel with them. And so that's that's how it's spreading. And so that's how the gospel spreads is through the the preaching of the words about Jesus, the truth of God. That's that's the primary tool by which the gospel has gone forth over the centuries. And so Paul's preaching. And what's amazing is what he couldn't do physically, his sermons are doing spiritually. Mm-hmm. It's pretty wow. powerful. So, and, and, you know, again, that's why it's so important that we speak the name of Jesus. We must speak the name of Jesus because Romans 10, 15 says, unless people hear, they can't be saved. Mm-hmm. So they need to hear the gospel, which means we all must preach the gospel and speak the gospel. And so it's Paul's preaching that ultimately accomplishes what he couldn't physically do. It's pretty, pretty impressive. So in verses 11 through 12, it says that God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. So why don't we see these kinds of miracles happening at Sandals Church? Right. It's the word unusual. Luke doesn't know how to describe this. This is bizarre. Mm. You know, and let me say this again. You know, so there, there are two types of Christian. Uh, I, I mean, this is a uh, really, really huge overgeneralization, but, you know, bear with <laughs> Go, me. Proceed. Yeah. So there are really, let's say there are two types of views on this, which they're not. There are hundreds, but I'm summarizing all of these hundreds of views into two. Some say that, you know, 
God wants to continue to do the exact same miracles they did through Paul, they did through James, they did through Peter in the book of Acts, and those things happen today. I don't believe that they do. I believe that Paul, Peter, James, and John, that the apostles were uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit, and they did things that we just don't see. We just don't see that. However, then there's the other group that believes that all of these miracles have ceased, that it was only for a period of time, and that these things don't happen. I don't agree with them either. I think miracles still do happen. Our teaching comes from James 5, 16 and 17 that says, if any of you are sick, let him come to the elders and let the elders pray over him and let him confess his sins so that he may be whole and healed. And so that's the process that we do in the church. I cannot um, command healing. Peter, James, and John in the book of Acts are able to do that. What I can do is I can pray to the healer, Jehovah Rapha, which is the Hebrew in the Old Testament for the God that heals, or Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus in the New Testament, and I can pray over you in the name of Jesus, and God can do miracles. So miracles still happen, but the way that they happen is different. Acts is a unique time in church history, and anybody that doesn't acknowledge that is not dealing with the truth. And even the churches that say that the same miracles that took place there take place in their church, I just don't think that they're being honest with themselves. Like, I mean, can you imagine a preacher throwing his handkerchief out at the audience? I mean, that's that would just be yeah. bizarre and weird and probably... I was planning on putting on this white throw that you've got on and draping yeah. on my shoulders this See afternoon. See what happens for the rest of the day? I'm just offering wisdom to anyone in here in the <laughs> office. Okay, so here, here's the next thing. So Paul's got this unusual, these unusual powers here. We're, we're about to meet a whole nother group of like seven sorcerers. How, how would Paul's powers have been different than maybe, I guess, like sorcerers of the time? Yeah, so here's one of the things that I think makes a lot of new Christians uncomfortable. When you read the Bible, it's not just God's followers who have power. Power is attainable from, um, you know, other forces, forces of darkness, demonic forces. And so that's what we need to be very careful as believers, what we entertain, what we participate in, and um, you know what we allow to have influence in our lives, because there are forces out there. The Apostle Paul writes to the same church in Ephesus that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So to the church of Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, he says, but we wrestle against powers, against principalities, against you know forces of darkness from heaven. And so he, he writes that to them, and then he talks about being, you know, fitted with the full armor of God, right? That's to this church in Ephesus, because apparently, man, there was just crazy stuff that went on there that were forces of darkness. It was very, very real. And that's what we need to know as Christians, is this stuff is super, super real. So that, that's how they were doing it. They were doing it by the power of demons, by the power of darkness, and uh, we need to stay away from that. And so what you have in Ephesus is this collision of dark and light, mm. of good and evil, and what we see is over and over again, right? Good triumphs evil, light defeats darkness. And Paul preaches the gospel and he wins and he brings, you know, the goddess of Artemis, the goddess of Diana. I mean, that's her two names. Artemis is Greek, Diana is Latin, brings her to her knees in terms of you're a false god and you're not true. You're not, mm. you're not, you're not the true God. And so it's just, it's just a really, really tense time in church history. And um, you know, it it so affects the religious leaders in Ephesus that ultimately they want to kill Paul. So we'll yeah. get to that in a little bit, but. Yeah. So let's dive in a little more to this whole situation with the sorcerers. In verses 13 through 16, it says, a group of Jews is traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil, evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. So it mentions these sons of Sceva and that he's a priest. 
how many of you guys were actually traveling together doing this? Right. So if you attended the Saturday night service or you watched on campus, uh, I said eight, it's seven. I don't know why my mind did that when I preached it, but it's the seven sons of Sceva, sons of a leading priest. And for whatever reason in my mind on Saturday night, I said eight. And, and he's, a, he's a Jewish priest? Yeah. We believe that he's a Jewish priest. So there's no record of a high priest named Sceva. So... That's why scholars are not exactly sure what to do with this passage. It could have been that he claimed to be a Jewish high priest or whatever. So here's the thing that's so interesting about Romans, right? The Romans have like this love-hate relationship with Jews. like mm-hmm. So they're constantly kicking them out, but they're fascinated by them. Right. So we remember in, in weeks past, um, you know, a leading city official would have a Jewish person as his sorcerer or as mm-hmm. his spiritual guide. And so Romans were fascinated with anything exotic and Jews were exotic. So they spoke mm-hmm. in a foreign language. They called out to a foreign deity. And so one of the reasons these seven sons of Sceva can go around Roman cities making all this money exercising demons is because they're Jews and they speak a foreign language and they call upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this just in, just kind of inspired in a weird way Romans. Mm-hmm. Romans just, they weren't exactly sure what to do with Jews, but they were all about any God anywhere if, if he can heal or she can heal. And so... They just gravitated to Jews. And so we, we've seen this. You can actually, um, uh, if you go to like the museum in London or Paris, you can actually see some of these old sorcery incantation books. Hmm. And it's not uh, unusual for, um, in one of these books of witchcraft, one of these books of sorcery, for you to see actual prayers that say to the God of Abraham, to the God of Isaac, hmm. to the God of Jacob. Because Christianity is growing at such a fast rate, sorcerers said, well, if it works for them, it must work for me. And so they start borrowing the name of Jesus and borrowing the name of God and borrowing the name of, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because two things. One, it sounds exotic. You know, it's just like when somebody starts speaking Latin, you know, yeah. e pluribus unum, you're like, oh my gosh, that guy must be smart, <laughs> yeah. right? Well, you know, and that's why like nowadays Wiccans, they use Latin because mm-hmm. it, because it sounds powerful. Well, right. it's just, it's just like English, but the, the major world uh, language before that, um, it sounds, you know, more special, more powerful. And so they would use, and oftentimes quote in Hebrew or in Greek, you know, these things about Jesus, these things about, you know, Paul or Abraham, and they didn't even know what it meant, but, you know, it freaked everybody out. So they would say it. So mm-hmm. the seven sons of Sceva, they're, you know, they're, they're relatively famous. They've made enough money to travel around and feed seven brothers. I mean, that's a pretty remarkable small business here. Mm-hmm. And they start using the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. So they don't even know Jesus but they use it. And it seems that uh, in one particular instance, things got really, really ugly. Yeah. So were they exercising exercising demons successfully before yes. this or they've been, oh, yes. they had. So Jesus acknowledges this in the gospels because when Jesus exercised demons, they say, you're the son of Beelzebub. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is like, wait, 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 how am I the devil when I do it? But when you guys do it, you do it in righteousness. And so, oh, okay. yeah. So yeah, Jews are, are able to do this because they, they, they practice the one true religion and they come in the name of God. And so they're able to bring healing. And so these individuals are able to do that. But unfortunately, they're kind of hypocrites because they're willing to use whatever works. And right. they want to use the name of Jesus, which is a no-no. So these um, these seven brothers are not like fully forthright. Like you just said, they're kind of hypocritical. Let's say I'm not. Like I am authentic, genuine believer now, full of the Holy Spirit. Is it smart for me to just go around picking fights with demons? No, don't do that. So don't, you know. Um, again, like I said, um, this weekend, usually it's mental illness. Usually it's just a, an emotional issue. It could be a chemical imbalance. It could be something like that every now and then it's a real demon. Mm-hmm. And I've only come across that a couple of times and you don't want to handle this on your own. You know, what does the demon say? 
you know, so literally, here's how you could translate it in the Greek. Uh, Jesus's name I know, Paul's name I respect. Hmm. Who are you? Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, right, I mean, it's, it's, it's literally hilarious, you know, so I, I revere the name of Jesus, I respect the name of Paul, who are you guys? Well, who do they think they are? Seven sons of Sceva. We are sons of, of a Jewish high priest. They're, they're frauds. They're fakes. And so that may be why there's no list of a Jewish high priest named Sceva, because they could, this, could, this whole thing could have been a joke. I mean, how do you know? You're in Ephesus. You're way far away from right. Jerusalem. Um, they're doing this in, in Greek cities under the name of the Jewish God. So, so you know, no one knows what to do with the text because they, they're worried that Luke got it wrong. And I, I don't think Luke got it wrong. I think he's recording accurately who these guys were claiming to be, and they were frauds. And so they got beaten really, really bad. Yeah, these guys kind of remind me around, you know, of those old-timey doctors that would travel around with their little cure-all <laughs> medicine bottles or, or Well, you know, I was just going it, to... It's just like today, right? Every Every new diet drug or whatever. It's always some exotic fruit from the Amazon. And so what does that mean? It's something that we've never experienced or seen before. And this is going to heal you. You know, it's always some cure-all fungus from, you know, the jungles of Vietnam. Right. And that get that that inspires people. So in the same way, these seven sons of Sceva inspired Romans with, oh, they're Jewish and they have this temple, this magnificent temple where they worship the one true God. And not only that, but that, you know, they got the new and improved version of, you know, acai bowls or whatever, yeah. and it's Jesus, and they're bringing that, and there's healing in that. And so in the same way that people are, you know, duped by the, if you act now, I'll throw in this bonus Jesus prayer, same thing back then. I have found my diet has been working for me. I'm, I'm on Fatkins. Fatkins. Oh, gosh. Sorry, that just happened in my head right there. I had to, I had to drop it out. I had to drop it out. All right. So then in verses 17 through 20, it says that the story of what happened spread quickly throughout all of Ephesus to Jews and to Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. So do you think that this was mostly a case of people becoming believers for the first time because of this? Or were there a lot of Christians in the city already, and now they're getting that sorcery is not a good thing? Yeah, I think it's a combination, and that's a great question. I don't know mm-hmm. who submitted that question, but it's a fantastic question. I think it's a combination of two things. One, it's a combination of, uh, you know, people that worship the god of Artemis, uh, the god of Diana, goddess Diana, and they are burning their incantation books because they they are they have come to Christ. And I also think that there are Christians who have been living in the city but still keeping these incantation books on the side just in case this Jesus thing doesn't work out. Mm. And that the reason why I want to focus on them is because I think there's a lot of people at Sandals that claim to be a follower of Christ, but they still have this side thing that they worship, uh, that's something that they turn to, you know, maybe their little stash of porn, their little stash of, you know, drugs, their little stash of, you know, money, what, whatever it is, something that they're holding on the side and they're keeping from God. And here's what you need to do. You need to destroy that. Because it's destroying you. One of two things are going to happen. You're going to destroy your stash or it's going to destroy you. And and you just got to understand that. And that's why they burned them. They didn't sell them. They didn't make money off of it. You know, don't go sell all your pot today and, and give the money to the church. Flush it down the toilet. We don't need that tithe. We need you fully focused on who God's called you to be. And there's just so many of us that we have, we've given you know, the enemy this foothold in our life in some small area. And for the people of Ephesus... It was uh, divination books and incantation books. And like I said, you can see some of these books in the London Museum, the Paris Museum, um, because they were they were worth a ton of money. Um, and, uh, you know, you got to get rid of that stuff. Hmm. You either got to be all in with Jesus or you're not in with Jesus. And those are the choices. And so the pagans completely convert, 
have this bonfire, the Christians who kind of quasi-converted, they contribute. And there's just this revival that takes place in Ephesus of amazing, amazing things. And uh, lives are changed forever. So that was a great question, whoever asked that. Uh, you know you know what that means. It's time for another shared fun experience. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a shared fun experience. All right, today's, threw me off. T- today's, yeah, me today's shared fun experience comes courtesy of producer Kelly. We are playing... What's that sound? What's that sound? So this is us here in the studio. Uh, Producer Kelly is going to play us. How many sounds are we getting today? All right, we're getting three sounds. We're going to guess what that sound is. You listeners at home, in your cars, wherever it is you're listening, we're all going to figure this out together. You ready to guess that sound? Sure. This is like a fun, humorous commercial break. This is exactly. (laughs) The first one should be a pretty easy one. All right, here we go. Definitely a dog. (laughs) (laughs) That one is, that's obvious. The sound of... A rooster, correct? A rooster. All right. Correct. Shout Talk out to the wigs. Yes. Next sound is going to be... We got another one, right? Here it is. What? Forgive the music. Whoa. Can, can we do it again? Or do we get one shot? Ooh, I know what that is. I know what that is. It's a baby monitor. That's the sound of a baby monitor. Pastor mm-hmm. Matt, you got a theory? That was like a dog panting. A dog panting? Oh, I'm going... You have any ideas? No. Nope. Listeners at home, here we go. That sound is? That was a waxing of a surfboard. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It does sound like that. Oh, Very oh. good. Okay, yeah. excellent. One more sound. One more sound. I'm getting, sound. Get, I'm getting it right this time. That was hard. We went from a rooster to waxing. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, I know what that is. Velociraptor. Do it again. No. Yeah, he's... Okay, I know exactly. You don't know what this is? I have no, no. clue what that is. It's yeah. yeah, it sounds like a velociraptor. Kind <laughs> of. It's a vulture. A vulture? Oh, it's a vulture. It's a vulture. Okay, it so I was not far off. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, my goodness. Wow, those do sound terrible. I didn't get waxing a surfboard, but I know the sound of, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what do you get when a T-Rex mates with a cat? <laughs> well, there you go. Hey, it's uh, the sound of vulture. Excellent. Well, that was a, another shared fun experience. And now it's time to continue moving on. Now we got the big, this climactic uh, end of Acts chapter 19 here. We've got the riot in Ephesus. So I got to go through a little chunk of this to set it all, all the way up here. Verses 23 through 27 say, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with others employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business, but this man, Paul, has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, the magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. So is this guy Demetrius actually a devout believer in Artemis or is he just a charlatan? Yeah, he's probably both. He's probably both. He's Mm -hmm. a guy who probably believes, but also has a great deal of money to lose. Because what happens is so many people in the city are turning from the Greek goddess Artemis to uh, the Jewish god Jesus that they're literally burning their idols and getting rid of their idols. And that's what he does. And he makes tons and tons of money uh, carving these images of... Um, the Greek goddess Diana, which would have basically been like a symbol, an ancient symbol of porn, because what uh, her symbol was is 
if you haven't ever seen uh, the Greek goddess Artemis or Diana, she's a multi-breasted woman. So it kind of look, imagine a naked woman with like a, uh, grapes on her chest. That's kind of like what she looks like. I mean, literally like there's like eight or nine or 10 breasts because she was the goddess of fertility mm. and... So there was all kinds of sexual rights and things that went through. Why are you guys looking at me like I'm, I'm making just, this? Well, up? it's just not. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm thinking, thinking back to the mom. Weird. To the mom listening to her cars. Oh yeah, dudes made that statue. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. It's lady. Well, sex, like, like sex and religion. Dog. Sex and religion right. has always gone together, except mm. for the God we worship. He says right. that those things are separate issues. But for most of the world, you know, sex, fertility, um, you know, those kinds of symbols, engaging in uh, temple prostitution. That that's that's historically been a part of religion, um, because sex is a very, very powerful experience. But God says, no, 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 those are separate things. And I don't want to have sex with you, but I do want to know you mm. and uh, in a different way. And so that's what makes the Jewish God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, you know, Jesus that we worship very, very different. And, um, you know, it doesn't make uh, our evangelism quite as appealing <laughs> as Artemis, you know, but... Yeah. Okay, so everybody rushes to the amphitheater in response to this, dragging along Gaius, Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. And some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. So what would Paul's relationship been with these officials that they would make a point to want to warn him and try to protect him like that? Yeah, Paul, here's the thing that's amazing about Paul is he's well-received in the city by everyone except for obviously Demetrius, who's been economically offended by Paul. But people really like Paul. Paul's mm. done a lot of great things. I mean, let's be honest, he's healing people. His mm. handkerchiefs are healing people. I mean, things are happening that are really, really good. And, and so he's been here for a while. They warn him. And here's what's amazing about this theater. So hopefully we'll get a chance to go there on our trip this summer together. But I've been to this theater. It seats 25,000 people. Whoa. So it's one of the largest Roman theaters built in the ancient world. And it's still intact because the city of Ephesus was abandoned. It's like Staples Center. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. massive. Think about that, massive. And it's in. It's it's carved into the side of this hill right in the ancient city of Ephesus. It's incredible. The city of Ephesus had plumbing. Like, mm -hmm. think about that. They had plumbing, running water. Uh, they had a library there, and you can still see these wow. things. Uh, beautiful homes built into the hillside, and then it was just abandoned in about 300 AD because the river had moved so, so far away from hmm. where the city was because it was a port city. And um, it's really, really cool. But man, to think that Paul was going to walk into a stadium full of thousands of people, I mean, he's going to die. And mm -hmm. that's why they're saying, you know, don't go in there, Paul. And, and what's amazing is Paul listens. So here's Paul, right? Smart guy, uh, brilliant, knows God, led by the Holy Spirit, but he listens to these non-Christians who say, Paul, we love you. Please don't go in there. It's going to be really bad. Okay, so that really sticks out to me, this idea that there's these influential city, local leaders that care about Paul, um, even though he's got this really contrarian message in yeah. some ways to their culture. The culture we live in nowadays uh, does not really have a high view of Christians in general. Man, how can we develop a reputation like Paul had in this city? Yeah, and I would just say, be like Jesus. You know, be like Jesus in the way you think, act, and the way you feel, and and people are going to love you. You know, it's so sad. You know, I just was reading with you guys earlier that statistic about eighty percent of Americans don't want their neighbors to be born again. Yeah, because born again has this offensive, hostile, um, you know, kind of jerk personality that's been attached to it. And what we need to do is be good neighbors, loving neighbors, kind neighbors, and be like Christ. I mean, he he lived with sinners every day and, and, and people loved him. The only people that didn't love Jesus were the religious people. They couldn't stand him. And that was only because they were jealous of all of the influence that he was gaining. So, you know, be like Paul. Paul, you know, did 
he worked hard in the city, right? So he was a tent maker. So he he wasn't there, charlatan, you know, ripping people off, stealing money from people. He worked tire, tirelessly, day and night, cared for people, ministered, lo- was loving and kind, uh, and was brilliant. And so he was well respected in the city. And the city officials understand that the, really what's motivating this in Demetrius is not his true faith in Diana. It's really you know nobody's buying uh, you know silver sculptures anymore of the Greek goddess Artemis, and so. He is being impacted financially, and they really swoop in and save the day for Paul. And that's what's incredible. And that's why it's so important that we're, you know, we don't just want to be good neighbors for, you know, their salvation, but it may ultimately be your salvation. You know, who knows if your Buddhist neighbor or your Hindu neighbor comes and saves your neck because you've been a loving Christ-like person. Right. But, you know, um, it's all it's all about your behavior and your personality and, and just the way you hold yourself. You can speak truth. I mean, the Bible says, speak truth in love which actually is in Ephesians 4. So he t- tells these people, speak the truth in love. And so what that means is don't be a jerk when you communicate the gospel. And so I think Paul did it that way and, and was very powerful in the way that he communicated and very godly in the way that he carried himself. It's awesome, man. So back inside the amphitheater, the people were all shouting, some of them, uh, one thing, some another. Everything was mass confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak. But when the crowd realized he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it up for about two hours. So who is Alexander and why does he get kind of singled out by the Jews like that? Yeah, he would have been one of the leaders in the church. So he's one of Paul's key disciples, uh, probably who carried on administrative tasks, helped him with the the hall at Tyrannus. So uh, he's an incredible individual and probably an elder in the local church. And and right now he's the highest ranking Christian that they could get to the amphitheater. So they got them there and he tries to speak, but once they realize he's Jewish, so this whole thing is... You know, I mean, um, it'd be kind of like trying to wave, you know, a Mexican flag at a Trump rally. It's it's not going to happen. So Mm -hmm. uh, what's happening here is what they're saying is kind of like a nationalistic rally. So we're all about Ephesus. We're all about Ephesus. Well, who's this guy? Not an Ephesian. Mm -hmm. So it's a problem. We don't care what he says. And they start screaming and and they lose control. And um, it's pretty incredible what takes place, though. Okay. So then finally, the mayor of Ephesus actually gets up in front of everyone, just closes out the chapter, and he says, if Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against Paul and all the Christians, the courts are in session and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges. And if there are any complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I'm afraid we're in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government, since there's no cause for all this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. Then he dismissed them, and they dispersed. So this seems like it's kind of a win for Paul and the Christians, but the mayor is still declaring things about Artemis that we don't believe, and I'm sure Paul doesn't believe. How do we balance honoring those in authority and kind of taking the win there, but also making a point to make the truth known? Yeah, and here's the thing is you don't have to tell the people, you don't have to tell people the truth about everything. Hmm. So Paul's two uh, workers, they don't stand up and say, no, 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 that's not what happened. I mean, they just let it go. So they don't they don't correct the Ephesians on this meteorite that fell to Earth, you know, and they believe was was a symbol from the goddess, you know, Artemis or or, or Diana. They, they don't do that. It's just like, look, man, if these people want to believe this ridiculous stuff, that's fine. I'm preaching the gospel and the truth at the Hall of Tyrannus every day for a couple of hours. If you would like to hear our perspective, feel free to come. But the time to persuade this crowd is not when they're all worked up and they're all angry and they're all upset. And um, what's what's amazing is the non-Christian actually speaks on behalf of the Christians, because again, what do you see throughout the story of Acts? Christians are um, moral people 
who live lawful lives. So they, they don't break crimes, they don't, they, don't, they don't cause crimes, they don't cause trouble. And every time they're exonerated as being good citizens. And so what this guy says here, the mayor of the town says, look, you guys are the ones that are in danger of getting in trouble. And if you keep this up, the Romans are going to say, maybe you guys shouldn't self-govern because if Ephesus was one of the many cities in Rome that was allowed to self-govern, that means they got to pick their you know, their own elections and have their own power, and they, they paid a smaller fee to the Roman Empire. But they had a lot of autonomy here. And he's saying, look, you guys keep this up. We're in danger of losing our autonomy because the truth is you guys are out of control. And hey, we have these courts. Go to the courts. If something's been done against you, they're open today. Go in there and handle it like reasonable, civilized people. Mm-hmm. And uh, ultimately, that's that's all we want as Christians. We want to live in governments where people are reasonable and civilized. Man, if they reject the gospel, fine. God is okay with them rejecting the gospel. What we don't want to do is get all worked up into a hysteria and 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 try to emotionally, you know, hammer people over the head and get them to follow Christ. We want reasonable, real decisions for Jesus. And the best place for that to happen in Ephesus was in the Hall of Tyrannus, not in this amphitheater filled with emotion, anxiety, and fear. And and that's not a great place to uh, spread the gospel. Well, good stuff, man. Uh, all kinds of uh, stuff happened there in Ephesus. Acts chapter 19 was a winner. You said you was one of your favorites. It's one of my favorite chapters yeah. from start to finish. It's awesome. Yeah, a lot of good stuff in there. Well, hey, if you want to get show notes to anything that we talked about today on the show, you can find those online. Just fire up your internet computer browsers and go to debrief.show slash 38. That's right. And don't forget, this is your last week to enter in our Debrief Swag Hydro Flask giveaway. And That's I'm right. And I'm not going to miss saying all those words every episode, but (laughs) you are going to miss out if you do not enter this contest and get a chance to win one of those great debrief show hydro flasks. So you can check out the details on our website also at debrief.show. I think it's going to be in the show notes there, but post a picture of yourself in your debrief t-shirt, tag the debrief podcast on Facebook, and we will pick our favorite. That is a mouthful of words. She it just is. Said. It's a lot of words. It's all right, but it's going to be awesome. And hydro we're flask. Have hydro flask, flask, dude. I will probably never say those hydro words. Hydro kids, again. hydro and flask. That is until we get you switched over to carrying your water in a, in a truly wonderful device. It's fantastic. You're going to love it. All right, guys, it's time to close out the show. And this uh, is the moment you guys have all been waiting for since the maybe the end of the last episode, if you've been waiting for it at all. It is time for Learning Christianese. Learning Christianese. I think I'm learning Christianese. I really think so. Learning Christianese. I think I'm learning Christianese. I really think so. That's right, folks. So we are laying down my inspirational quotes that we've been doing at the end of the episodes up to this point, and we are picking up a new segment here called Learning Christianese because Christians say weird stuff all the time. We get our like our little language going, and sometimes you can get kind of used to it, but we say some weird things, and so I want to start kind of deciphering some of that. So this week, we're going to start off with our first Christianese term, and I want to get your thoughts on that, Pastor Matt. This week's term is hedge of protection. <laughs> what what does that? What is a hedge yeah, of protection? I've, lit- I've definitely heard this before. Yeah, it's hilarious. So, you know, so you think about, you know, medieval times, you would plant a hedge around your English yard and, you know, you couldn't walk through the hedge, you had to go through the gate. And so the idea is that this hedge creates an impenetrable barrier, which is just hilarious. Like the devil can't, you know, doesn't own a pair of clippers and he can't cut through your hedge. What it means is a barrier. So it means a barrier to keep something out and to protect something that's in. That's what it means. I don't know when we started using it in prayer, but it's just hilarious, like a hedge yeah, of protection. Yeah, people say put, put a hedge of protection yeah, around. apparently the devil is intimidated by gardening. I don't know what it is. I don't but, blame him. Gardening's hard. Yeah. So that's what it means. It means a wall. It means a wall of protection. It means, you know, uh, 
I don't know. Why, why not like a, 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 a moat or something Ooh, like that? Yeah, a moat of... That's, yeah, that's I'm going to start praying know, for the Lord to put a moat of protection a around. A moat of protection around me, Me man. and my loved ones. Or maybe a, just a brick wall. Or like radar with like Ooh. missile... Yes. Missiles or something. Ooh, um, uh, Star Wars, Skynet. Yeah, Skynet. A Skynet, yeah, of protection. Skynet of protection yeah. around me. <laughs> yeah, so it's just one of those things that needs to be, uh, um, what, what would you call it, uh, technologically upgraded. Mm. Yes. Yeah, if you still have a hedge, you're hurting. So <laughs> <laughs> upgrade that hedge uh, to some kind of uh, system, maybe with cameras, lasers, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I've seen, I've seen some cool stuff on like Mission Impossible, you know, they've yeah. got some Or really even great... Despicable Me. Actually, yeah. oh gosh. Well, yeah, so if you guys know of weird terms that Christians use that you think it's time we, we get to the bottom of, I would love to hear those. I've got a whole stockpile of these because Christianese is one of my least favorite things in the entire world. So I'm particularly excited about this segment. So send them in. We would love to get them on the show. See you next week.